Hi, I'm Robert Hurst, and I welcome you to podcast number six of Safe Zone. Let's get rolling. In the Safe Zone, we share ideas, actions, and practical tips to equip you with tools and peace of mind as you help create a safe and secure environment in the place where you worship. Let's get into this episode of The Safe Zone. Once again, welcome back to Safe to Worship, Safe Zone, our podcast version. It is great to have you here this week. You're going to love this one because what we're going to be talking about is safety and security, but from a different perspective. We're going to be talking about it from the perspective of a church staff person. Hey, let me ask you something. Have you ever really thought about the fact that your staff person is there uh, many times more during the day than the pastor is or the pastoral staff because many of them have to go do various activities, go see people, go to meetings, etc. But that those staff people are there. So we need to make certain that we are drawing them into the circle of influence regarding safety and security in our buildings. And what better person to have than one who has been there? And uh, fair and balanced before we get started, this is my daughter, so she's really special. And she's the, the, the boys, her brothers call her the smart one of the family, but um, <laughs> she, she loves to deflect that somewhat. But anyway, her name is Llewellyn Lowe. She, uh, to give her your background, she did her undergraduate in global studies at Colorado Christian University. Uh, tough life there, waking up, looking out at the Rocky Mountains every morning. She then turned around and received a master's, worked to receive a master's in international affairs from the George Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M University in Texas. Upon graduation and uh, marrying one of the greatest son-in-laws that a man could ever have, she became the regional director for Senator John Cornyn, covering the Northeast Texas area. Did that for four and a half years, so she really got immersed in dealing with people. From there, went to be the executive assistant to three senior pastors and did that for three years at a large church, multi-campus church there where they were living at the time in Texas. Um, And what made it even more interesting was the main office was not attached to the church. It was separate from the church. And during that time, she also served on the praise team. Since then, her husband has been accepted to a PhD program and Austin, and so they're living there where she works for the state of Texas Legislative Budget Board, and she and her family are involved in local church, which uh, is a multi-campus church there. Oh, by the way, to start this all off, she also served as an intern in the youth ministry in her home church early on in her life. So a well-rounded individual, someone with lots of life experience for her young years to be able to uh, visit with us on this. So welcome, Llewellyn. How are you today? Thanks. I'm great. It's good to be here. And it's good to have you. Llewellyn, thanks for, first of all, for taking the time to share a little bit different perspective on security and safety regarding staff people with the audience. Because um, what you may not know is when we launched officially a couple of weeks ago, we have received nothing but uh, good feedback on what we've been doing. And part of it has to do with the fact we're being very broad-based in the way we approach this. It's not just bad guys and wolves. It's, hey, let's look at everything. And I thought, how appropriate that we have a staff person talk about this. So um, let's talk a little bit specifically. Let's start with the various positions you held in ministry, first of all, so you can kind of give an idea. And what were the safety and security implications at each level? Because in many ways, you've actually progressed up 
that ladder to some degree. So kind of give us some feedback there. Yeah. Um, you know, having grown up in the church, I spent the majority of my time as an attendee um, and then volunteer later on in life. And then I did serve as a youth intern my sophomore year in college for my home church. Um, that was just for the summer. And then, um, as you mentioned before, I worked as an executive assistant for three senior pastors here in East Texas. And, um, you know, volunteering is always part of our family's activities when it comes to church. So that's kind of been a thread that's gone through each of those different stages in life, even if I was on staff. So um, those were the, the positions that I held for the most part. Okay, good. So let's start with, let's just start with the intern position because I think that what I'm trying to get my audience to really understand is safety and security is everyone's job. So as an intern, kind of what did you have to do? What were you responsible for? And did you even have to worry about security and safety? So as an intern, I can uh, hear the grin in your voice. So I, know. <laughs> I, used to, I used to marvel at the fact that they paid me to do what I did that summer because I basically got paid to have fun and make sure other teens had fun. For the most part, that was my responsibility. And then when I as, as the youth intern, I was responsible for mainly coming up with games. Sometimes they were outdoor, sometimes they were indoor. Um, and then there were a couple of travel trips. So for the most part, for most of the summer, I did not have to concern myself all that much with safety and security because the buck didn't stop with me. The buck stopped with the youth minister. I was there to, to connect with kids, to uh, in, help them engage each other and to help them, you know, be quiet when they need to be quiet and have fun when they need to have fun. Um, there were a couple of trips that I was responsible for. And I remember at the time, the one that stands out to me is there was a trip that we were taking to Dallas and um, I would be responsible for that whole trip start to finish. So getting the parent volunteers, getting any forms signed, making sure that kids had any sort of medications that they needed, being aware of um, different medical needs and concerns. Um, but even, I mean, I remember being concerned about just, is it going to rain on us while we drive? What happens if we have a flat tire? What happens if we get in a car accident? What happens if we need to pull over? What happens? I, my brain sort of cycled through all of those things more because of my personality type. And I was very concerned at that point because the buck did stop with me and I needed to be thinking on all, <laughs> at all levels. Um, kind of so. in your DNA to think that way too, <laughs> to a certain degree. So I definitely, for the most part, didn't have to concern myself all that much other than you know, when we were doing outdoor activities, I had to keep an eye on the skies and make sure that we had good weather. If there was any thunder or lightning, we would obviously pull the plug and pull the kids inside. I had to be aware of first aid kits. Where were first aid kits if somebody got hurt? What would we do if somebody got injured on the field, if we were playing some sort of running game? Um, did we have a good contact for each of the kids so that we could call parents or guardians and make sure that they got the care that they needed? Um, so I did have to, I mean, I, I say that I didn't have to think about safety and security, but it wasn't as weighty for me as an intern. Okay. So as an intern, yeah, I mean, you make it sound like you skated along, but I, I can tell, we can all can tell with that <laughs> description of the Dallas Strip, it was a little bit more than that. But as you moved along, though, particularly when you came back into the local church as an executive, it was a different, a whole different environment then, wasn't it? 
Absolutely. And as the executive assistant, I, I recognized at that point that I really was on the front lines for the office staff um, in my role. You know, ministry people wear multiple hats at any given different time, and they have so many things to think about, so many meetings to be at, so many different gears to shift during the day. And that's why they have assistants and staff if they're able to, to, to run the office, to be aware of things like when the elevator doesn't work or when the air conditioner goes out, who do you call? What do you do? If there's a sewage issue, who do you call and what do you do? If there's inclement weather, where is everybody supposed to go? Because, you know, as much as we would hope that they would be thinking about that and that they would make rational decisions in the process, it helps if your staff um, particularly your, your assistants. I'm not saying that ministers don't need to know that, but I, I am saying that every level of staff needs to know what they would do in any sort of unexpected event at the office. Um, my roles on Sunday, my role, excuse me, on Sunday was limited in terms of staff. I, I was fortunate in that the bulk of my work was done at the office between Monday and Friday. Um, I was a volunteer on Sundays, but still we had conversations about safety and security on the campus and who would be the point person for what and what happens if they weren't there. Um, so backing up just a little bit, I had to own my corner of my world, if, if that makes sense. And because my position was so unique and that I helped kind of drive the ship, if you will, I needed to know at least where I could find the resources for the questions that I had in terms of what would we do if X event happened on any given day. Now, my question is, does this address, there was a statement you made in your, in the blog post that we put up that you did an excellent job writing, but it says, and, and I'm going to read the sentence here. It says, for that reason, I strongly believe that each person on staff needs to take ownership, an interesting word there, of their preparedness. Now, is that what you're speaking to here and kind of unpack that a little bit more? Absolutely. You know, it's helpful at times to designate, like I know that some people have fire marshals for their, their floor or their office building or whatever, but it's, and, it, and that is absolutely helpful and absolutely necessary when it comes to some of the bigger events that happen for people to know um, who to, to who to ask, who to turn to, who knows what in the building. And that is the responsibility of senior staff to be able to delegate those responsibilities and make sure that everybody on staff knows. But if I flip that coin over, the other thing is as a staff person, you need to know what you need to know. You can't just uh, idly sit by and trust that somebody is going to tell you what you need to know. Start asking questions. What would I do if this happened? What, who would I ask if I saw this occur? What would I, you know, what resources do I have to draw on if I need to, um, you know, deal with some sort of power outage, that sort of thing. You can't be passive about it because as I mentioned before, everybody in ministry is wearing different hats at any different given time. And it, it, it's just easy for that sort of information to fall through the, the cracks. So I believe that it's a, the responsibility of each staff person to know what their corner of the world is. It's easier to delineate when you have somebody like a youth minister. It's very obvious that their concerns and their safety concerns broaden quite a bit because they have youth or children to be caring for and to thinking, be thinking of safety security in a holistic way, not just 
bodily safety and bodily harm, but mental safety and emotional safety and that sort of thing. So that stuff is easy. Sometimes it can get a little harder, but each person has to ask those questions. Okay. Now let's, let's unpack that and take it a different direction a little bit more. You served in, in your larger church position, you served in a church that had a separate office off site from the campus or from the, any of the campuses for that matter. Now, recognizing that the majority of our listeners are probably going to be in smaller churches where there is not the multi-campus thing, may or may not be, but most of them, it will not be that way. So therefore, your staff is going to be at the church and at churches, where do people come when they are looking for help um, and support? Did you have to deal with that in your office environment periodically? Um, And did that create any kind of issues or did you how did you deal with it? What was your protocol or your process? You know, um, we did have, for better or worse, we were a little harder to find because of where our offices were located. That wasn't intentional. It's just the way it worked out. It's the office space that we could lease. That being said, we did have people come in to our offices asking for help from time to time. You know, you have your frequent flyers that are usually attendees of your church, and those are pretty easy to read and easy to know how to help and how to proceed because they've probably been there before or they've at least called or emailed or something like that. But it's the ones that you don't know and the ones that may be in some dire situation. Maybe they might need money for gas or maybe they need money for transportation and other way, or maybe they need something for their children or their family. Those are the harder cases. And honestly, because ministry is our first and foremost responsibility, the first thing we want to do is care about that person and care about their needs. And there would be times that we could help. And then sometimes there would be times that we couldn't help. And so I had to be able to um, read people um, and kind of read the situation um, in, in that role and be able to know who do I connect them with. And as a kind of a the front line for the senior pastors, you know, some people looked online and saw, well, so-and-so is a senior pastor, so I want to talk to so-and-so. And so I would have to ask questions and maybe they're not, maybe the senior pastor is not the person to help. Maybe there's somebody else on staff who can help, or maybe there's a volunteer that I know of or an organization that I know of that could be able to help in a way that we wouldn't be able to help. Now, for our Uh, listeners who may be listening, I want to interrupt here, and I want to mention a couple of things here that Lewis hit on that that are critical ideas. First of all is think ahead of the curve. You can tell this young lady thought ahead of the curve. It wasn't, oh my gosh, here it is. Now what do I do? If you will go back and read the preactive, the one that's called proactive, reactive, or preactive blog, or listen to that podcast, you'll get what we're talking about. She had thought it out. Second thing is, I notice you keep talking about reading people. Now, that is critical. If you're one of those people that has a little bit challenge with discernment or I've seen people go the other way. They, they cast demons where there are none. Um, they're simply people that need help and they just don't look like them. A great resource that we have recently partnered with is go to our website at safetoworship.com and to the second tab from the left at the top called Announcements Embedded Resources. And you'll see a link to a new group that we just uh, partnered with called Chameleon Associates. Now, they are an Israeli-founded uh, international actually security training firm and they have a course and let's let's be uh, fair and open here um we do have a a uh, what they call an affiliate relationship we would get a small uh thank you from them uh if you take the course i but you have to put safe to worship in the comment section it's not an automatic thing 
But with that said, this course is called predictive profiling. That's what you're looking for. And without saying those words, that's kind of what Llewellyn is talking about is being able to look at people, see the people, the situation, and any objects that they may have with them and try to determine, do what they call a threat assessment right there. By the way, this, so that you'll know, this is a talent that you can carry with you literally every day of your life. I teach this when I'm working with school systems. I teach this when I'm working with business businesses as well as in places of worship and, and churches. So just wanted to throw that out there. That is a great place. It's at the Safe to Worship Announcements and Vetted Resources, Chameleon Associates. So with that said, well, okay, so you read them. You go, okay, you know, you, you do whatever you need to. Now, my, my next question is, as a staffer, were you being supported in this by leadership above you? What was their attitude? And, and you're not trying to out anybody, but think in terms of what staffers out there in these churches or lay people. Think of how many lay people volunteer as a staffer for a few hours a week, and they're having to face some of the very same things you're talking about. What would you say to leadership? In churches? You know, I think I was, I did feel very supported in terms of, of learning to read the situation. I will have to say that it wasn't something that was taught. So I, you know, I fully support people finding the training um, as well, because reading body language is not predictive. It just helps you identify when more questions need to be asked and what you need to be looking for and how you need to be looking for it. So I wasn't looking at people and like, sizing them up and wondering if I could take them in a fight. I was looking at them to think, okay, how, what's our agitation level? How nervous are they right now? Are they looking me in the eye? Why aren't they looking me in the eye? Is it because they're ashamed? Is it because they're sad? Is it because they're trying to hide something? So I, I definitely felt very supported in my, my role in being shrewd. I don't think there's anything wrong. I think the Bible even commands us to be shrewd as well. Um, but also, you know, caring and discernment, as you said too, discernment is something that you have to learn and you have to practice. I don't think it comes naturally. You have to learn how to ask the questions and how to, you know, interact with people. So people don't want to do that work, which is the interacting with people part. Um, I would say though, for the, you know, the churches that are, that have volunteers that are, are reading, I think you don't want them, you don't want their first thought about somebody who walks through the door to be suspicion. That can't right. be it. You want it to be discernment. And that's, ministry. Yeah. Ministry and discernment and being, you know, that needs to be their first thought on their mind. But you also want them to be aware, like, hey, if you see these things, if you see somebody come in, arms crossed or just foot tapping or showing other physical signs of agitation, it's okay to go and get somebody on staff. It's okay to pull somebody else into the room. It's okay to say, hey, could you come back at a later time when I can have somebody else help you because I don't know that I'm equipped with what I need to be able to help you right this moment. Oh, what a great answer. I'm not equipped, which you really aren't at the time because you really don't know what's about to happen. So that's, that is an extremely intuitive answer to that. So very, very good. Now, out of curiosity, did you ever encounter a question or a concern either from maybe a ministry participant, somebody who was just there participating, or maybe a church member that lets you know they had concerns? In other words, did you ever have people say, I've got this concern about this safety issue potentially or this security issue within our programs or our churches or whatever? I'm just curious. Did you ever see that? You know, I personally did not, not for any of our campuses. Um, I'm not, not to say that those weren't 
voiced at some, you know, at some point to one of the staff members. I did not. I am aware, though, and I think this is something, um, particularly nowadays, I, I do have a friend that voiced some concern about her own church's safety, safety measures in, in regards to her child and child care. And obviously parents, you know, I, I've had mom friends who didn't want to leave their kids in child care or in the nursery or in, you know, Sunday school. And so that, that is one area that I feel like if, if people are going to key in on, that's going to be one. And maybe I will, full disclosure, that's probably just the time of life I'm in because I've got three young children and I'm a mom. So. Oh, they're great children too. They're awesome. <laughs> that's, that's definitely part of it. But I think that, um, you know, people aren't thinking about the daily stuff and the, the soft targets that are absolutely out of your control, like natural disasters and random hazards in the neighborhood. They're thinking of the big hitting things right now, which is safety of children. Um, and that's not bad. I'm just saying that that, that typically is, if we're going to get feedback, it's going to be on the big things. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? The things that will uh, just from a percentage probability happen, you don't hear very much feedback on um, the inclement weather that can come through and topple the tree through or the tornado or et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. But those items that will make the news cycle every 15 minutes for the next seven days, you know, you brought, the probability of happening is so infinitesimally small. You did bring, there was one Sunday that we had a tornado siren warning go off. And I remember um, at the time, I didn't have children, and but I remember hearing parents talking about our processes for that sort of thing because our directives to them were your children are safe we our volunteers are trained they are where they need to be to be safe please don't go running out the doors to go get your children because we didn't want them picking them up in the chaos and not knowing if children were going to the right people i will say that that's extremely uncomfortable for some parents for people like me and having grown up with you as my father and some of the safety trainings that we'd had i completely understood while uncomfortable it probably was the safest for my kid at that time for me to heed that i think you know maybe another facet of this is helping educate the parents on what measures you're taking and why in terms of the safety of their children and i think that is a very critical point right there and a good place to kind of make another pivot but i want to hit on that if you're listening to this and you've just heard what she just said or maybe you didn't let me reiterate Tell your people what you're doing. Put things together. Talk about it among yourselves. If you're a participant in a team, make sure your people in the church know. If you're not a participant, you're an attendee and you're listening, go ask them. What, what are the processes? What, what do we have in place in case this happens or that happens? So um, the pivot I want to make, though, is to ask you, in your experiences you've both observed and participated, are there any particularly I'm going to use the word neglected. It may not be the, the correct word, but neglected areas, uh, maybe ignored areas of church safety and security that you have consistently seen in the churches you've been in over the years. You know, typically it's the things that are taken for granted. It's the person who faints in the foyer. What do you do? It's the person who forgot to take their diabetic medication and is, you know, this seems so easy because you're like, well, yeah, call 911. Well, what if the person doesn't want you to call 911? What do you do then? You know, who in your church do you call upon who has the tools, the resources to help that person? Or, you know, 
get there and the sewage is backed up. What do you do? That's gross. Nobody wants to go to church in a sewage backed up place. And I'm going to tell you what, I know you've brought that up twice and probably twice now our listeners have gone, really? <laughs> if you'll get out and do some digging around as far as research, it is fast. No, it's, it's tragic. It's not fascinating. It's tragic how many churches, that's exactly what happens. They Somebody shows up on Sunday, something like that is happening. Now, there are no services not only that day, but maybe for a week or two while they try to repair and clean yeah. up and yeah. sanitize. And it's just it's definitely, I think, I think especially now, people are trying to take swings at the big issues, and I think that's good. I absolutely applaud churches that are addressing the big issues, but I think it's important also to not – forget about those issues that are probably taken for granted that nobody hey, thinks of that it feel more like nuisances, but can become big hindrances on a Sunday. Okay. Now let me ask you something here. Let's, let's flip the side of the fence. You've been a staffer as you've talked about this. So talk as a staffer, but also as an attendee or a participant, how do you see people in the church either hindering or helping overall safety and security these days? You know, first of all, I'm going to say this with love in my heart, so know that it's going to sound maybe a little callous on the outside, but everybody's <laughs> an expert, and, oh, yeah. and everybody wants to give an opinion, and everybody wants to say, well, you should do this, and you should do that, and maybe so, maybe you're right, but I think that the thing that I would say to attendees and the way that I would hope to approach leadership on a church is to ask questions first. Hey, have we considered X, Y, Z? What what are our policies in place for this? Um, be kind. Your ministers, good night. They are run ragged half the time. They, they need kindness because they're constantly dealing with criticisms. So be kind. And then the last part is seek to be a part of the solution. If you see a gap or a problem, don't just poke holes in something until you're ready to stick your finger in it and make sure that the water stops leaking. So I think those are the three things. Ask questions be kind, and be part of the solution, not just part of the problem. Very good. Now, we're, uh, we're going to kind of bring this to a close. I hate to because you've got some great stuff that we could go on and on and on. But what would you tell the staffer, volunteer or paid, in that small to mid-church that's listening to this and going, yep, yep, that's me, yep, I've been trying to tell them. Oh, gee, what am I going to do? What would you say? You know, I say you've got, you've got a giant task at hand, so please know that um, we understand and we see kind of the struggle and what feels like an uphill battle, but I would also say look to the people that you already have in place. Maybe they're not in formal leadership, but they're in quasi-leadership, so a good place to start would be if you have deacons or elders recruit them to help you either, if I don't know where you are in your planning process, to either develop implement or test some of your policies and procedures that you have in place or maybe don't have in place at your church. Get their feedback and their wisdom and their counsel. That's what they're supposed to be there for. And then the second thing is recruit, 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 recruit um, with a caveat of wise recruiting. <laughs> and yeah. I uh, say that because, you know, you don't want just anybody to help. You want to have the people that have practiced and and just you know displayed discernment and wisdom maybe in some of these areas make sure you recruit those people to help you and help you evaluate and implement new things you cannot cannot do it all on your own 
you will die trying. You have to get some help for that. And maybe it means getting some outside help. Maybe it means having somebody come in and help train your volunteers or help, you know, convince your elders and deacons why this is important. But um, look for the resources that might already be around you to help address some of these issues. All right. And let's take one final question is the staff person or the person who is married to a staff person or just your attendees in that mid to large church. You know, I know one time you talked about, uh, you mentioned to me that y'all had had someone come in and do some training in a specific discipline. I mean, is this something you encourage them to even ask for or, because you know, not all churches have a risk manager or safety person designated on staff. Yeah, we were fortunate in that we did have somebody who was thinking through those things for us and had developed a manual. And however well that was disseminated or not isn't really the question right now, but it was there and we had somebody thinking through it. We did have somebody come in and do an active shooter training with our staff and it helped spur some really good conversation. I would add in that that it would have been helpful to have some follow-up conversation too with an expert who had kind of walked those roads, if you will, because it was kind of a one and done. But I would say that, um, you know, ask for it. If you don't have it already on staff, um, if there's a way for you to access that kind of help outside, do it because you want to be able to focus on Sundays on ministry. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that um, effectively and consider the safety and security of your congregants as you do that is by doing the work on the front end. You don't want to wait until something tragic happens. You want to do the work now and have the policies and procedures in place now and train Absolutely. your volunteers now. So use whatever resources you have, but also if you find gaps and find holes, seek out other resources to help your staff and help train. Okay. And with that, we're going to bring this session of Safe Zone to an end. And you know what? This has been great, Lou. Um, I, I hope, folks, that you have gotten a, a good bit out of this. But there's three things I want to go back and reiterate that she she mentioned that are key. Number one, and you're going to begin to hear me talk about this more and more on just about every podcast, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. You can ask any of my consulting consultants that I've worked with in uh, the business world, in the safety security world. I'm always saying, ask questions. But by golly, she's right. Be kind to the staff. Be kind to your pastor. They have um, 6,000 plates spinning and trying to keep them spinning and then having one more thing thrown in their lap. And you know, the best way you can be kind is offer to be part of the answer. Um, don't just come up with, by the way, anybody can find a problem. Not everybody can be a part of the answer. It's not that they can't, it's they won't. So you'd be part of that answer. So ask questions, be kind, be a part of the answer, and be supportive of your staff as you all work to make your church or place of worship a safe place, a wonderful place, a place of ministry for people to be every time they come through the door. So, Llewellyn, thank you very much for your input, your expertise. Thank you for being not only uh, great at what you do, but being a, a great daughter, a godly wife, and a wonderful mother. To you who are listening, thanks for being here, and thank you for engaging with your faith community to take action and make your church or place of worship also a place of peace, joy, and safety. I have a couple of requests of you. First, 
please pass a link, maybe an email message, or even a social media contact to your friends about the Safe Zone podcast and encourage them to listen and subscribe. Secondly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review at iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast channel you use. And finally, take a minute and go to the Safe Zone feedback page, which is located on our website at safetoworship.com, and give us your feedback. You can also ask any questions you have, as well as offer your great ideas of topics that maybe you'd like to see us address in future blogs and podcasts in the Safe Zone Learning Center. That's it for this episode. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Safe to Worship Safe Zone podcast. And let's remember, safe churches, safe worship, you want them both, so do we. So let's work together to do just that. Blessings to you, and be safe.